Local Knowledge is brought to you by Avis, who say that nothing beats a great drive. Avis is the official rental car company of the PGA Tour. With Avis, it's time to hit the road. Enjoy the things you love, like travel, visiting new destinations, and of course, taking in a round of golf. Take your next trip with Avis. It's Sunday of the PGA Championship, and the scene at Kiwa's Ocean Course is, well, it's a zoo. Fans have spilled into the fairways and overtaken the final group of Phil Mickelson and Brooks Kepka, both needing to fight through the masses just to get to their balls. For Phil, especially, there's a lot going on right then. He could be worried about his safety amidst the sea of overserved golf fans. He could be thinking about his legacy as he's poised to become the oldest major champion in golf history. Yet, watch closely and Phil looks remarkably, almost eerily calm. He hits his approach onto the green, two putts for the win, and even with chaos all around, looks like his heart rate never rises above 50. It seems like he's found his own formula to better just lock in, deal with each shot one at a time, and he's in total. Tony Jackley used to call it a cocoon. We call it the zone now. He's completely in his zone, and he's been in it for all four days. Incredibly impressive. So, what was it? Perhaps in recent weeks, you've heard about Phil's intense 36-hour fasts and the coffee blend he sips throughout competition. Plus, you've known for years that Phil has simply been blessed with more talent than just about anyone who has ever held a golf club. All of which might explain why Phil could be in this situation at age 50, but the reason he is able to handle this situation so well? It's something so vital, yet so simple, it's a wonder we all don't pay more attention to it than we do. It's the way Phil inhales, and especially the way he exhales. So if you watch the final round, what you'll notice is two things. One is he was very deliberate about breathing. So everyone saw that he was like, you know, but what they didn't see was he was very deliberate about breathing out. That's Dr. Aras Apaya, a medical advisor to Mickelson and a Golf Digest contributor who also works with a number of PGA Tour players. And when you breathe out really slowly, and if you do it right now, if you put your hands, uh, put your finger on your pulse, Okay, and you take a big breath in, you'll notice your pulse change. And then as you breathe out, you'll notice your pulse change. So breathing is intimately connected to the heartbeat. Now, you probably don't need a medical degree to know that breathing is important in golf, just as you know that, say, being awake is important in golf. Every golfer breathes. It's one of the few things we have in common, this and never having enough tees. But what if I told you that how you breathe actually matters, and that it might even be the difference between choking and playing your best golf under pressure? I'm Sam Weinman, this is Local Knowledge, and yes, today we're talking all about how we breathe, about why it's not just a mechanism for keeping you alive on the golf course, but likely a more important tool than whatever oversized driver you have in your bag. We'll talk to experts about how elite athletes are learning to use their breath to regulate their bodies and optimize performance in the biggest moments, and we'll explain the simple scientific ways it can help you as well. Before we go any further, some background. I am not a doctor, and I am definitely not a golf pro. But I do consider myself an expert on the many ways your mind can conspire against you in competition. My wife knows this about me as well, which is why last year she recommended a book she had just finished called Breath, The New Science of a Lost Art. The book is not about golf, and the author, James Nestor, admits that he hasn't played much in years, but it didn't take me long into reading Nestor's bestseller to realize how much of his work tied directly to the game we all love. 
For starters, as Nestor explained when we spoke recently, it's not just on the golf course where we're all breathing incorrectly. It's everywhere, and it's putting us at a disadvantage before we even hit a shot. One of the most interesting things I learned was that even though a lot of people think that breathing is just this binary function, that we're either doing it, which is good because we're, we're alive and well, or we're not doing it, which is really bad because we're dead or we have some other chronic problem. But it's how we breathe that's so important to our everyday lives, to our quality of sleep, to our stress levels, to our happiness, to longevity, and more and more. And what I learned from researchers was that the majority of us are breathing in a dysfunctional way. You could use an analogy of food. We know we need to eat, but it's really important what we're eating. And we take in more air into our lungs, 30 pounds of air in and out of our lungs every day. So how we take in that breath is so critically important to basically every function in our body. Right at the top of Nestor's list of breathing transgressions is mouth breathing. When he says there's nothing worse, you should take him at his word. Although his research had already suggested mouth breathing had adverse effects on everything from your circulation to your immune system to your cognitive function, Nestor went the extra step of forcing himself to breathe only through his mouth for 20 days, literally plugging his nose the whole time. In addition to feeling overall miserable, Nestor's vital signs painted a grim picture. His blood pressure and pulse spiked, his heart rate variability plummeted. At night, he had sleep apnea. During the day, he said he walked around in a fog. Yeah, it was awful. We knew it wasn't going to be a, a picnic, but we didn't know it was going to be so terrible so quickly, and the damage was just going to immediately come on by just switching the pathway through which we breathe air. The following 20 days, Nestor did the opposite by forcing himself to breathe only through his nose. The difference was profound. Whereas Nestor had become a walking zombie while he was breathing through his mouth, now it was as if he was reborn. He slept better, had more energy. His vital signs all improved dramatically. To that point, Nestor had been, like so many others, a mouth breather. From then on, he realized he could never go back. I didn't know the difference. And I just thought it was okay to be sort of mildly sick, <laughs> you know, all the time because I didn't know the difference. And only when you sort of get to that other side, do you realize, oh my God, this is what I've been missing out on for so long. And why hasn't anyone told me this mm -hmm. for, for the decades that I've been doing this wrong? And that was the biggest question I just kept coming up against. At this point, you might say, okay, great. I'm glad to know breathing through my nose will cause me to snore less and maybe not get as many colds next winter. But is this really gonna help me turn more bogeys into pars? Well, in a sense, yes. And let's start with the obvious point that golfers are athletes. We play better when we're rested and when our heads are clearer. And if you're among the wave of golfers who want to add more distance by logging some time in the gym, it stands to reason that you're going to work out more effectively if you're taking in more oxygen. But like I said, all that's kind of obvious. Because the right kind of breathing doesn't just make you an overall healthier person, it can actually help you make better golf swings, fewer putts, and fewer mistakes. If all this sounds like a late night golf channel infomercial, well, here's the best part of my pitch. Breathing the right way won't cost you a dime. We don't tend to think of our nose as an important part of our golf swing. In 70 years of Golf Digest, I don't think anyone's ever talked about the position of the nostrils at impact. But as Nestor says, the nose matters more than we all think. It regulates how we breathe. It's harder to breathe through your nose, exhale through your nose. You breathe through your mouth 
There's no resistance there at all. And that resistance is absolutely critical to getting the most oxygenation into your bloodstream, into calming your body, increasing blood flow and more. I should mention there's an additional wonky layer to this that I won't spend too much time on now, but it's basically about how over generations, our faces have evolved in a way that has made nasal breathing more difficult. As Nestor explains in his book, the more humans have been able to cook and soften foods, the less we rely on our molars and our jaws to break that food down, the more our skulls have narrowed, thus giving us more restricted nasal passages than those of our ancestors. All of this is a long-winded way of saying that if you're looking for someone to blame for those three footers you miss, you might consider the inventor of the microwave. Okay, back to the reasons mouth breathing is so detrimental in a golf context. It's because we can't regulate our breath in the same way we can with our noses. If, as we noted earlier, the breath has a way of sending signals to your brain, mouth breathing almost always sends signals of distress. In some sports, maybe that's not so bad. For instance, ice hockey, that's my other favorite sport, and in hockey, a sense of urgency or desperation might give you a surge of adrenaline, never a bad thing. But in golf, I don't want this. I have an eight iron into the green or a 10 footer for birdie, or let's be honest, in my case, a six footer for bogey. I wanna be calm, reasonable, in complete control and balance. How you breathe controls different areas of your brain and influences how you think and controls stress. Another thing that happens when you're breathing this much, you're breathing through your mouth again in a very shallow way, you are telling your nervous system you are under a state of threat. So your heart rate goes up, your blood pressure goes up, and you enter that fight or flight mode. And especially for golf, maybe that could be beneficial if you're running a sprint, a 400 you know, mm-hmm. meter sprint. If for golf, this is the worst state you want to be in. You need to be in a meditative state where you are in control of your emotions, you're in control of your nervous system, you're slowing your heart down and you're focusing. Go back to this scene I described at the beginning, the final hole of the PGA Championship. It's a historic, legacy-defining moment for Phil Mickelson. He's chewing gum, so his mouth is closed, yet his breathing is very calm and deliberate. He's making the type of ho-hum face we might make when we're picking up our dry cleaning. Phil has 158 yards to the front. That is the most important number. It is a nine iron. And it is right at it. (laughs) Oh, you're not kidding. You know, people don't probably didn't realize this, but if you look at his shots, if you look at him when he stood over the ball most of the time, he had very little tension in his face. And facial tension is a sign of tension in the body. Compare that to another benchmark moment in Mickelson's career, the final round of the 2006 US Open at Wingfoot when he double bogeyed the 18th hole to lose by a shot. I was actually right next to Mickelson that day when he hit the tree with his second shot, and I remember the whole thing feeling disjointed, harried, as if he wasn't really thinking. Of course, I wasn't paying attention to Phil's breathing that day any more than I was studying how he tied his shoes, but for good measure, I actually went back and watched the clip. All right, tee shot for Mickelson. This better be a forward. Doesn't like this one. Going way left, way, way left. Phil pushes his tee shot left off the tee and off a hospitality tent. The camera shows him muttering something to himself, and then sure enough, his mouth stays open, almost as if he's panting. Look, I'm not going to go so far as to say that Phil's mouth breathing is what caused him to lose the U.S. Open. There are scores of armchair swing instructors who will say it's because he should have taken less club off the tee or punched out when he got into trouble. 
But what I am saying is, if ever there was a moment that Phil needed to take control of his breathing to send a calming message to his brain, it was then. That he didn't might have played at least a small role in everything that followed. If Phil had the wisdom of what he has now, what he would have done was not just hit the shot and then not care where it went. Go to the ball, find it, and in entire, during that entire walk, just focus on his breathing, in particular breathing out. Okay, and keep his whole system very calm, not get ahead of himself. You know, that's 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 what provides anxiety, right? Anxiety is living in a fearful future in the present. Okay, so he just he would have kept himself calm, calm himself down by breathing out real slow. Okay, and walking at a slower pace, doing everything slower, getting to the ball. And now he's very conscious. His mind is not scrambled. His heart rate's not high. He's not overly driven. You know, he's not overly pumped up, as we say. And then he can make a very, very conscious, methodical decision. By the way, just to continue down the same rabbit hole, I went back and looked at another infamous major collapse when Greg Norman lost a six-shot lead in the 1996 Masters. Now he stands at the drop area. The six-shot lead with which he began this day, an ever-increasingly distant memory. Sure enough, some of Norman's worst shots that day, spinning the ball off the ninth green, putting multiple balls in the water on the back nine, they were all followed by tight shots of the golfer with his mouth open, as if struggling for air. Again, maybe Norman didn't blow the masters because of how he breathed that day, but it's clear he wasn't doing himself any favors in that department either. Finally, I then went and looked at quite possibly the most clutch putt of Tiger Woods' career. It's the 72nd hole birdie putt to force a playoff in the 2008 U.S. Open. Since the Open had just gone back to Torrey, the highlight was pretty much unavoidable. But now I was looking for something different. With mouth breathing, the breath tends to be shallow, as if the air enters your throat, but not much further. Watch the YouTube clip of that sequence, though. You'll see as Woods stands over the ball to size up his putt, his chest rises and falls really slowly, the air traveling deep into his lungs. It's the biggest moment of his career, and yet Woods has full control of his system. And then you know what happens next. Expect anything different? So let's pause here for a second and review what we know. By now, you hopefully appreciate that there is a difference between mouth breathing and nose breathing. If you stopped listening here and came away with even that, it would still be tremendous. I could breathe easy, so to speak. I'm sorry, it's just too easy. But there is, in fact, more to it. For instance, you might come away from this and think, well, it sounds like breathing is really important, so I'm going to really focus on breathing more. If I used to take this many breaths during the day, I'm going to double it. To be clear, this would be a terrible idea. As Nestor explains, mouth breathing is one type of mistake we make, but overbreathing is another, in part because it puts undue strain on your system and might even lead to chronic problems like migraines and asthma. But the other reason is because overbreathing leads to an imbalance between how much you inhale and how much you exhale. This part people get wrong all the time, probably because we tend to think of oxygen as good and carbon dioxide as bad. As a result, we assume that inhaling is inherently better when in fact the two need to be in sync. In our bodies, we need a balance of CO2 and oxygen. Mm -hmm. So CO2 serves, it is not a waste gas. It's been labeled this waste gas. It serves this vital function in circulation and increasing oxygenation. 
there's the oxygen bars, which do absolutely nothing to, to a healthy body. You need a balance of CO2, which is why breathing slowly, breathing through your nose, allows you to retain the proper amount of CO2 mm-hmm. and to get proper circulation, as well as increase your nervous system function. You know how they say you should take a deep breath when under stress? Well, it turns out that deep breath isn't gonna help unless you exhale just as deeply. And that's because when it comes to calming your body, the exhale is really where the magic happens. Here's where I'm going to use a bunch of terms that I only learned recently, so try not to be too impressed. Basically, all the inhale does is trigger the sympathetic nervous system that boosts your adrenaline and heart rate. The exhale, meanwhile, starts the parasympathetic response that does just the opposite. This is a change you can actually feel if you know what to look for. If someone's sitting down, they can take their hand and put it over their heart. Mm-hmm. and breathe in to a rate of about four seconds and then breathe out to a rate of about eight seconds if that's comfortable. If not, six seconds is fine. And you're going to notice every time you breathe in, your heart rate's going to speed up. And every time you exhale, your heart rate's going to slow down. Mm-hmm. We can actually use our breathing to tap into our nervous system function. Mm-hmm. And by allowing ourselves to calm down, so to slow down our heart rate, to increase our circulation, we calm our minds. If you wanted even more proof, you could use software like the one used by a company called Neuropeak Pro that measures brain activity. This is what Bryson DeChambeau uses, and like a lot of things about golf's mad scientist, he's been ahead of the curve when it comes to training his brain. Here's Sean Foley, who teaches major champions Justin Rose and Danny Willett, and who coached Tiger Woods between 2010 and 2014. The player who who has been doing it the most and working on it for two or three years now is Bryson DeChambeau. You know, we can point to the long drives. We can point to the improved putting, but there's no way that what we've seen with his career isn't reflected slightly in his focus on breathing. No doubt. It's fair to say no golfer is as attuned to the importance of breathing as DeChambeau, and that includes learning to know when in the breath cycle he's calmest. This is actually a technique used by military snipers who have learned to time shooting between heartbeats when their hands are steadiest. Of course, the context is far different on the golf course, but the same principles apply. There is, however, one other use case in golf. Earlier, I mentioned how in certain sports, a big surge of adrenaline can sometimes be a good thing. Well, in golf, perhaps the only time that would be the case is when trying to launch a big drive. For a lot of us, this sort of thing backfires. Think about the long drive hole at an outing. You psych yourself up, overswing, and the next thing you know, you're playing from an adjacent fairway. But for some, like professional long drivers and for DeChambeau, they want all that energy at the right moment. With Bryson, you can actually see it when he's standing over a tee ball. He's fidgety, he waggles the club a bunch, rocks his feet back and forth. And then if you look closely, you can see he's purposely trying to breathe really fast. Here, DeChambeau explains in a video with the PGA Tour. You have to get yourself amped up a little bit. You have to walk around a little faster and get some blood pumping. A lot of breathing. Breathing actually helps quite a bit. More oxygen you get in, the more blood flow you can get, greater uh, adrenaline you can pump. Okay. Kind of like a fight or flight scenario. So if I'm really pumping this, I'm really going to get into it. If DeChambeau is on the extreme end of golfers who are paying attention to their breath, others are not far behind. Foley, for instance, says Willett is a student whose whole demeanor has changed on the golf course as a result of his breathing. He's less distracted, more focused. He's gotten longer off the tee even. And after some dark years following his win in the 2016 Masters, Willett has been able to manage himself better in competition. This has always been an important focus for Foley, who, like DeChambeau among players, 
has long been at the front end of advocating breathwork for his students. He even wrote a story about it recently for Golf Digest. And one of his main points is that golfers tend to carry around a lot of scar tissue. It's actually one of the drawbacks of experience. The more you play, the more memories of bad shots you accumulate. And that's where breathing can play a role. So say, for example, a guy's working through driver problems or, you know, wedge problems or chipping or pitching or putting. I think then it's even more imperative because that part of our brain that's trying to protect us is actually self-sabotaging. And so we have the photographs and the Polaroids of all the previous failures. Oh, no, we have to do this again. And so I don't think the brain really knows that it's not a saber-toothed tiger. From there, you have many chemicals that release. Uh, blood leaves the fingertips, goes into the internal organs, and all of a sudden, a guy blows a 10-foot putt eight feet by and has no idea what happened. I think that's the cascade effect. Let's say you have a tee shot with out-of-bounds right. Well, for me, it's a little half-wedge shot that I tend to catch heavy and drop into the bunker. I hate that shot, and my body knows it. My hands get tight, my face feels hot. We call it nerves or pressure, but really it's our fight or flight response kicking into gear. No different than when our ancestors faced, say, a pack of wolves chasing after them. It's so stupid, right? This is golf. No one's going to get hurt. We all should have enough food to eat. And yet our bodies can't tell the difference between this and real threats. All it knows is that we care. And even though it's just a golf tournament, saying that to someone who's invested their life in it since they were 11 years old, just saying it's just golf, that's not fair. It shouldn't be life or death. I'm sure if all of us had went to Afghanistan, we'd realize it's not life or death. But until you know that, you only know what you know. A few weeks ago, in the midst of all this breathing discussion, I decided to put it to the test on the course. So I hit record on my Apple Watch. This is the hardest hole on the course and probably the hardest shot on the course. I have like 205. OB left, some crap right, so I'm going to try to be very calm and breathe. I can't hit it any better. That was me hitting a hybrid to pin high. You can even hear one of my playing partners say, oh, nice ball, which is pretty rare among the guys I play with. From there, I went on to make par on a hole where I very rarely make par. Of course, the next hole, I pushed my tee shot right, pulled a six iron left of the green, and was lucky to make five. But honestly, that's almost beside the point. The suggestion here isn't that breathing correctly is going to absolve me from my worst tendencies. Like a lot of mid-handicappers, I make good swings and bad swings, very often back-to-back. What I found, though, is that when I'm focusing on my breath, I know I'm at least giving myself a chance to hit the ball the way I want. This is something I talked about with Foley as well. I'm not suggesting, you're not suggesting that helping you breathe better is going to make you suddenly add 10 yards off the tee or make you, what it is, is maybe you're more likely to tap into your better self. Like you have a better. 100%. 100%. One, I don't, I don't know how anyone could say that that wouldn't be true. I just think it's everything, right? It's coherence. Once you can get the lungs and the heart moving in the same direction, just the coherence, all that stuff. I think it just gives us the, ability to tap into what we are able to do when we feel like that. It's nothing we need to actually do. The processes are already inside of us. It's funny, but one of the things golf has working against it is it's not a cardiovascular sport. At some point early on when you run or skate or hit a forehand in tennis, you just naturally learn the better you breathe, the better you'll perform. 
but it's not nearly as obvious in golf to the point where some players don't even think about it at all. Pair that with the fact that golf allows for more time to think and it's almost a recipe for disaster. Even now, Foley says he has students who are skeptical that breathing can really help. In his Golf Digest story, he recalls asking one of his players after a disappointing day if he remembers breathing at all during the round. He got only a blank stare in return. The problem is that this is not a magic bullet. Yes, there are times when you hit the perfect shot on the hardest hole in the course, but not always. Some of this takes time and some players don't want to buy in as a result. It's not frustrating or difficult, but it's pretty mundane. We're in a society now where I can get my favorite suit. If I pay 20 extra bucks, I can get it in six hours. And so these types of things that take time, real time, I just think when sometimes people do it and it didn't work that tournament, so they throw it out, right? right. Move on to the next placebo, but this isn't a placebo, this is biology. And keep in mind, this is not just abstract stuff like being less nervous or making better decisions, but literally giving our body a better chance to get through the ball the way we want. There's a reason we hit the ball one way on the range and another on the course. As Dr. Sapai explains, it often has to do with the way tension builds in our bodies. One of the things that happens with most golfers, especially amateur golfers, uh, and you'll see it on the pro too, when they get stressed, the swing gets shorter and faster. So oftentimes there's a loss of tempo in the swing. Okay. So breathing out and keeping the nervous system calm allows you not to not to not to rush the swing okay it allows you to complete the back turn and just really follow through right and execute and allows you also you know to be able to visualize the shot because because when you talk about people or athletes who are in the flow state right they say everything slows down they have all day long to make the shot so they're not rushed anymore and that's what you want to get to this flow state is ultimately what we're after. It's when we're just swinging the club and relying on our athletic instincts and not letting all the unathletic elements we so often contend with stand in the way. How often does this happen? You're on the green and the hole is over, so you just mindlessly stroke a putt that rolls right into the cup. I am amazing at those putts, like Hall of Fame caliber, and it's all because I'm not even taking a second to think about it. If I could get to that state more often, well, I still don't hit the ball far enough to really compete at a high level, but I'd be a lot better than I am now. And that's all most of us really want, to see less of a gap between our best golf and all the other golf we play. It's the reason why Phil Mickelson can still win majors at his advanced age, because he's still able to summon it when he really needs it and not let all the other narratives take up any real estate in his head. At the biggest moment, Phil was able to brush it off to the side. And it all started because of how he inhaled and how he exhaled. Local Knowledge is produced by Greg Gottfried. The music for this episode is called Walking Together by Siddhartha Korsis. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to Local Knowledge wherever you get podcasts, and be sure to check out Be Right, our weekly gambling podcast as well.